ladies and gentlemen, this is Jess, your After Hours podcast host. Today on After Hours Radio, we are honored to host Brad Hall and UO alum Dustin Freeman. They are both currently working at AKQA in Portland and are here to talk with us about agency life and what it means to love your job. Brad is a creative director, while Dustin made his way from account management to the production side of things. Both have worked on many big accounts like Burger King, Nike, and Amazon. Let's welcome the two. We're live. We're live. Awesome. Well, thank you both for being here. Um, For those of you listening, we have Brad Hall, Associate Creative Director, and Dustin Freeman, Executive Producer, both at the amazing agency of AKQA. Thank you both for being here. Pleasure. Of course. for having us. We're so excited. Um, They're here for an event tomorrow, but it worked out great. And they're going to teach our workshop today and after hours. So we're looking forward to it. Um, I'd love to just get started. Whoever wants to take it away first. I know you'll have to fight over the mic. Um, That was a bad joke because you both have individual mics. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I would love... I'd love for you guys to just dig into who you are, where you are currently. Maybe we can start digging our toes into how you even got into this whole this whole ad thing. Go sure. It. Short bio. Uh, well, where do we start? Uh, <laughs> I was born on a right. windy, dusky day. No. <laughs> uh, so I am about 10, 11 years into the into my journey, in my into my advertising journey um creative so came up as an art director uh well started even before that as just a designer um and worked worked at lots of different types of places so my journey has been a little bit uh erratic and random in different directions i was telling dustin on the way down here if something comes up that sounds really hard and really strange then i usually say yes Mm-hmm. Um, at least until I started having a lot of kids and then the yeses started to come a little <laughs> less often, but, right. uh, so I've worked at agencies, um, worked in-house for brands like Disney and Apple, um, started a startup with some friends of mine. Uh, and now I work at AKQA, which is a nice mix of all sorts of different types of work. Um, we were one of the first digital agencies, uh, probably the first really world-renowned digital agency that did uh, a lot of um, really groundbreaking work, uh, been around uh, 20 years, over 20 years. Mm-hmm. And um, and now I work a lot on the Amazon account. So we've done a lot of work with Amazon Studios, some of their entertainment titles. If you've seen Jack Ryan on Prime Video, um, and, and Nike, we work with Nike a lot and, uh, Microsoft and a lot of other brands like that. Uh, a lot of great Northwest brands actually. And, uh, yeah. What else do you want to know? <laughs> that I mean, I that know. takes us to the present day. Yeah. yeah I want to know how you got your first job. Mm. How did I get my first job? That's probably on a lot of people's minds these days. Yeah. Mid May. Are you kidding? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess the question is, which one was my first job technically? Because um, you probably want to know about the first like real advertising job. Um, but during school, I what I try to do is as Where'd much as you go as to possible, school? Tell them where you went to school. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't mention that, did I? Yeah. Uh, I went to school at Brigham Young University in 
Provo, Utah. So it's like south of Salt Lake by about an hour. Oh, okay. If you've ever been okay. to Park City, most people have been to the national parks. Yeah. Um, go Cougars. <laughs> <laughs> well, shout out. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so during school, I tried, I tried to actually work in things as much as possible. Even if they were only paying $9 an hour or whatever, I tried to do things that were in the world that I would be hopefully ending up in. So I worked as a flash designer, if anyone knows what flash is these days. Uh, I worked as an illustrator. Um, I worked as a really low-level designer for Xerox. Um, and so when I graduated, I, I had a lot of in-school experience that was like sexier, more conceptual work that you want to put in your book before you leave school. Um, but then I had a lot of just grunt work experience. So I had a nice mix of reality check before I, before I even left. Um, and probably the, the biggest thing that helped me get that first job was, um, was really collaborating with other skill sets within school. Um, I remember when I show my book to the recruiter, uh, his work, he basically, we, we had a lot of work that was actually made, like it was really polished and produced and produced because we had written it and art directed it, but we had worked with film students to shoot it. We were there on set and it, it looked like, uh, you know, an ad you could run on TV. We had a few of those in there, which was really abnormal for the time. And I remember him saying like, holy crap, you, you could start tomorrow and work. So nice. um, wow. got really lucky. That was at Leo Burnett in Chicago. Hmm. And uh, it was, I, I think looking back, it was actually really lucky timing, which, which is actually more of the equation than you probably think like the year you come out of school and how the economy is doing. Mm -hmm. uh, because yeah. I was in school during the whole economic crash in 2008. Oh, wow. And so right as I was graduating, all the agencies were like, well, we laid everyone off. Now we got to hire again. Oh, wow. yeah. But we got to hire cheap, mm. you know, kids out of school that won't cost us anything. <laughs> like, crap me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, yes, I'll me, take it. please. <laughs> we'll work for tacos. Seriously. So, uh, so yeah, it was kind of luck of timing and um, a lot of collaboration and, and uh, definitely a lot of blood, sweat, and tears like that last year in school to get everything in a presentable state. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure lots of people that are graduating right now are probably thinking, you know, how do I stand out? Um, the best I can say, I know there's a range of students probably from account to strategy to creative. Yeah. Um, but I don't, I don't think it really matters um, where you're coming from no matter no matter what your role is going to be, you still need to tell a story about your work and you need to package it in a way where people can just glance at it and and kind of know what you did. Um, creatives have more tools in their tool belt to be able to, you know, build a website or or art direct a book. Well, not anymore. Yeah. Now you just use Squarespace. That's what yeah. I mean. So things like that. Yeah, sort of so like now... that. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> so that was, that was what I was going to say. Legs up, to say the least. Yeah, ho hopefully now, um, you know, there's enough there's enough tools out there where you can just package it and, and write just a really good story about the project. And a lot of it is sort of uncovered. It's not just showing the final product, but it's sort of uncovering the process and the thought process that went into it. 
people want to know that you can think. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I feel like I have questions, but I also want to Dustin to introduce himself. So let's sure. go to Dustin and then we can, we can get back into the swing. Yeah. Um, so I started here, University of Oregon is where I started my uh, ad ad life. Um, thanks to, uh, Kim Sheehan. She, uh, I took a intro to advertising class cause originally I was thinking I want to do PR cause entourage had just came out and, uh, I was like, Oh, <laughs> yes. you just can oh like, hang out with cool people and go to cool events. That's what I want to do. And oh, little did awesome. I know it's writing a lot of stuff and I didn't like writing. <laughs> so after a couple of PR classes, I had to fill my, I, I did an intro to advertising class and, um, I just felt like a better fit and she's like yeah you seem to like this why don't you give this a shot and um i did and 14 plus years later here i am um so my um first job uh luckily i mean the the internet was still a relatively new like google came out i think my senior year junior year um and uh so started using the internet and and uh, craigslist actually was a it just came out and was a good resource for finding jobs and things like that too. Um, and so I moved back home to hood river, uh, with my folks and they're like, all right, you have three months to find something. Otherwise Figure you gotta start, <laughs> start paying us rent or, or find your own place. Sure. Um, so I just started applying to anything. Uh, cause I, I studied both, um, I got my degree in, in advertising and more in management, but I did a lot of creative classes as well. Um, but I didn't fancy myself creative. I just, looking at a blank piece of paper, I didn't see myself like writing ideas down. So I'm like, all right, let's try this account management account executive type of stuff. And so it's funny because, and I think it's still the case now, there's so many jobs that'll be listed and that say advertising, say account, and a lot of them are sales jobs where they're literally, you're trying to sale radio space or out of home space or all that kind of stuff. And so I, I don't even know how many jobs I applied for where I just sent my, I remember fumbling around on Photoshop to make my resume to try to make it look cooler than just a word doc. <laughs> um, and, uh, and just literally every day would get on and, and 10 or 15 jobs. I thought sound somewhat interested in, I would send my resume to, I did tons of interviews and more often than not, it was, I learned that I didn't want to be there because it wasn't what I was expecting. Because coming to school here, like I had a lot of people come from Nike, a lot of people come from Wyden. And so I had this expectation of what I kind of wanted as a job that was probably, um, looking back now, was a little um, probably uh, bigger than what it should have been for especially a first-time job. Um, but I, I, I knew I wanted to be some somewhere, a creative place and, and, and more of an agency-style place. And a lot of places I went were like, like I said, it was sales or helping create marketing material for trade shows for companies and things. Like that. And it just was like, yeah, that's not, I'm not going to like that. Yeah. Um, and what's funny is I don't, my first job is an agency that's still around called Ricochet Partners in Portland. Mm-hmm. Um, I was their first hire. Um, it was two people, um, a guy named Pete Charlton and a woman named Jean uh, McCurchy Spencer. Pete worked for like, um, he might even work for Leo Burnett. He worked for a lot of big traditional agencies in the Midwest and East Coast and then came to Portland and was working for, it's still around, it's called o- CMD, OMD. It was actually created by um, uh, this Windows uh, window door company, Jeldwin, um, out of Bend. It was originally their in-house agency, but they've been, because there wasn't a lot of agencies in Portland or Oregon in general, and they eventually started taking on other work. And now it's it's actually behind Widen might be still considered one of the biggest agencies in Portland. Uh, I want to say it's OMD. 
Anyways, um, <laughs> but while now. there, he was a, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, he, he was a, a creative director there. And while working yeah. there, he connected with Jean, um, who um, she had um, created a company called White Horse. She actually came from the music side of things, and and That's like she cool. created the jingle for way before you guys' time. But there used to be for NBC when the Peacock would come out. There used to be like a yeah, jingle yeah. and stuff um, years and years ago. Um, and and uh, yeah, and so like she she kind of was in that, and he was like, "Oh, you should come work here." And she's like, "No, I don't want to." If you ever want to start your own thing, give me a call. And he eventually wanted to start his own agency. And so the two of them started an agency. They put it out on Craigslist. I don't remember what their ad was. Just randomly, I was at a friend's house um, getting ready to have dinner. And I get this phone call. And the guy's like, hey, is this Dustin? Yeah. He goes, hey, my name is Pete Charlton. I'm from Ricochet and got your resume. And I'm like, cool. I don't know who he is, what his company is, anything. And he started just going off. He's like, yeah, we're working on some stuff with Nike and Bridgeport Brewery. And I'm like, oh this might be the right thing. He's like, can you come in tomorrow for an interview? And I'm like, yeah, no problem. Uh, and it was an g- amazing first job. Um, cause because they were like, like I said, I was literally their first hire. They had a couple creatives that they worked with freelance that eventually they hired on. Um, but I got to see more of the ad industry. Cause in school, when I was in school, you really only had three tracks. You had account management, uh, account planning and creative. Um, but there's, you still don't know exactly what all those kind of jobs are. And so I, it was funny because like one day I'd be like the man, like office manager, like making sure we had all the supplies. And the next day I'd be in a client meeting and helping try to concept what we should do for we were helping relaunch Bridgeport Brewery. They had closed down to remodel in the Pearl and we're opening back up as a bigger restaurant. And we also got to help create a beer um, and, and, uh, help launch a new beer for them. Um, and I was like, no, this is a a really awesome opportunity. Um, but it also allowed me to see what I liked in the business. And at the time I didn't know what it was, but it was kind of more the production side of things. Um, I helped put together an event for rockstar energy drink drink, where we put on a music contest about four different bars around Portland. And then the winner, the, or the top two at each venue got to play at the crystal ballroom. And we had um, this woman named Storm Large, who um, is now the front singer for um, Pink Martini. I think that's what their band is. Another local Portland band. But she um, she had just been on. It was like one of the first reality shows after American Idol. It's called like Rockstar, Rockstar Nova. (laughs) It was, um, oh, I forget the old rockers that were like the judges on it but she mm-hmm. she did that and but she was already kind of a local legend in portland like she had a yeah. couple shows a week and things like that and so we got her to be like the host and perform at it um but i literally was on myspace um which is another yes. thing that most people here probably have <laughs> never even seen um but my because myspace was originally created as like a music site like yeah. it, it turned into bands, a sure. a what um spawned what eventually became facebook but like a social site but sure. it literally is for bands to showcase their music and who they are and so i was on it every day trying to find local bands to get them to enter this contest um and that that was my first job as a producer not knowing that i was a producer um uh, and it went it went really well client was extremely happy um got to have fun time at the crystal ballroom and the final event all that good stuff um but while at Oregon, um, Crispin and Porter had came, uh, the agency had came and given a, a talk and whatnot and like threw out fillers because they were booming at the time. Wow. And I had a, um, a handful of friends that went to Miami to work there. 
And at the time, um, my cousin uh, worked there and, and, and it only had an office in Miami and I didn't want anything to do with Miami. I'd visited Miami. It was a great place to visit, but it didn't seem like a place I wanted to live. Sure. Um, very different than Oregon and yeah. Eugene oh, I, and Hood River it. and things like that. <laughs> um, but um, while at my first job, they opened, announced their opening office in Boulder, Colorado. And I'm like, oh, that's, even though I've never been there, that seems more my more style. Very similar to Oregon, and actually. Vibe yeah, and things I've like that. people say it's yeah. very similar to Eugene. To quickly, Boulder is, if you took University of Oregon, put it in Bend, and then move Bend 20 minutes outside of Portland, you have Boulder. And, and then also better weather. Um, so it's, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty great place. Uh, but once they opened that office, I was like, hey, I'd be interested. And so I just uh, shot my cousin a note. I'm like, hey, do you know if you guys are hiring? He's like, well, give me my re your resume. He's like, I can't give you a job, but I can give it to the HR and recruiter team. And then it's then on you. And uh, lucky enough, I got a job. And at the time, I thought I was going to have to start at Miami. And I was okay knowing that I had an out. Because at the time, they really were only trying to hire people to, to Miami because Boulder was so new. They wanted people to experience the culture and what made the company itself because Boulder didn't have that yet. Um, and because what Boulder was, was all the creatives left Miami because the head creative, Alex Bogusky, um, wanted to live in Colorado. And so he opened an office there. So all the creatives went with them. And literally that's all that was there when it first opened for the most oh. part. And so I was applying that's for a fun mess, right? <laughs> uh, so I was applying Organized for what chaos. was uh, basically an account executive. They called it content, like a junior content manager job. Um, and they're like, well, would you mind being in Boulder? Cause we need some people there um, on the ground. And I'm like, sure. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, so I, I got hired by them and actually worked on truth, the anti-smoking campaign, nice. um, which was pretty awesome for me. Cause it started when I was 16 or 17. So I was like the target when it first started. So it was very uh, ex uh, exposed to it. And then obviously going to a school and ad program, we studied and talked about it because it was one of the most like successful like mm -hmm. social marketing mm -hmm. that happened at the time and still to this day. Um, so it was a pretty awesome for, uh, first job of like getting thrown into a big agency world and being mm -hmm. a part of uh, a pretty well-known brand and a, one that was like, for the good because in our industry more often than not you're selling stuff that not that is bad but it's not stuff that people need and that's why it's marketing if people needed it they wouldn't need an ad to sell them yeah. on it. it's what, what you want kind of hey, stuff they don't know they need exactly but to get a work on truth and, and try to to help uh, kids from uh, starting to smoke was a pretty cool way to start so i always felt like i had good karma for the rest of my career <laughs> starting awesome. there for a while so yeah yeah. And you could go into that being like, well, I did the thing that was starting from scratch, yeah. you know, like you, yeah. that's kind of crazy that you ended up in two positions that yeah. were kind of like, all right, we're building this. So what is that like kind of from, you know, building something from scratch and being a part of that team from the bottom up, you know, it was, um, it was a really good uh, to me. Like I didn't probably think it or appreciate it as much at the time. Um, sure. but to be in a position where I had two very, uh, successful people that had worked in the industry for a very long time and, and, and literally be like in their office and be around them every day. Cause in most agencies, you're not going to be around the founders or the head high people when you first got out of college, cause there's going to be lots of people between you and them. Um, and so getting to, in a sense, be their assistants, um, and not only in from personal things to office things, to advertising work things and, and getting to see the whole thing. It was a great, I was there a little over a year. Um, but it was like a boot camp, like a, a almost like a grad school kind of thing of, all right, this is kind of what, uh, advertising is. I mean, even on a smaller scale, um, but it gave me a sense to where like when I wanted to do something a little bigger, I had a, a more understanding of, I think what I was getting myself into. Mm -hmm. I, I will, I, didn't. <laughs> I will point one thing out yeah, do it. about Dustin that, 
he probably wouldn't point out himself because he's a humble guy. But <laughs> um, Dustin is a hustler, like super <laughs> hustler. And I mean, I mean that in the best way possible. That's in your Twitter bio. Super yes. hustler. Super hustler. <laughs> yeah. uh, and the truth is in advertising, and this is true no matter where you go, but definitely some shops uh, more than others, the smaller ones especially, or, or even smaller offices within bigger agencies. Um, there is no roadmap and there are, are no rules and everything that happens is because you made it happen. Right. And this is true. Actually all of the best projects that I've done here at AKQA, uh, or either of us have been a part of actually have happened because, um, we went out and sort of dragged them from the mud, you know? <laughs> um, and, and that's true of, of almost anything I think is, um, you know, even when you're super young, you can't really wait for someone to tell you what to do. You have to, and I know this is something you guys hear, but it's, and it's easier to look back on than it is like in the moment. Um, but there, there are a lot of people that you'll work with that'll, that'll say like, ah, this isn't a good project or that's not a good client or there's no opportunity there. Um, or, you know, that's, that's our little pro bono thing that, um, that we don't really have any resources for. And those are the things that actually it's easier to make amazing work when people aren't paying attention than it is when you've got $3 million and there's like tons of pressure and you have to get it approved through 20 people. Um, Though that's way harder to make really interesting stuff because um, because the truth is um, we haven't reached hive mind status yet as humanity, right? Like, we have individual brains and good work comes from individual people, right? And the fewer people there are that can work on something, the more it'll speak to you as a human on the other side, mm-hmm. right? Because you can mm-hmm. feel someone's personality permeating it and you can feel someone's passion uh, making it happen. Um, and that's why I think, uh, that's why I think Dustin thrived at both of those places because they were so nascent, you know, especially, mm-hmm. um, Crispin timing was fantastic, but yeah, yeah, it was I, right I, at the beginning. I, yeah, I got was... well. It was it was at the beginning of the its highest point. Like right. it 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 came around. Like uh, I mean, True started in in early two thousands. I started there at the end of two thousand six. Um, my first three years, we were agency of the year. Two of the first three years, um, it, it was agency of the decade. So I was there for almost ha- not quite half of it, but like so. But it was I, I got to see its peak, um, and then I also got to see it as it changed and morphed, and as you got bigger clients and and because I was at the beginning of this wave where in Boulder. I think I was like the 158th person hired to Boulder. And within the first year, there was 300 people. And within three years, there was 500 people. I mean, it it, it went from like literally this, even though it was in the same place the whole time, this big warehouse, um, like they were literally playing like dodgeball and games in the back corner because there's no one there to where eventually they had to put in a second story because we were all over each other in spaces and whatnot. Um, But it was... uh, so it, it felt smaller at first and then, and then it became quite large and it was like, Oh wow. We don't even know half the people that you work with because mm-hmm. you're stuck in the, in the grind of whatever account or whatever you're on. And especially cause I started an account service there. So I was on truth and then was in new business for a while and then moved on to Burger King and Burger King is what really exposed me to production and where I realized, um, that's where I needed to be. Like my, my first week of the job, 
um, cause how truth was a very interesting account. Um, it, it was actually ran by two agencies. So it was ran by Crispin and also an agency out of Boston named Arnold and how it worked was, um, Crispin created the idea of truth, the campaign truth for the state of Florida, because Florida and I forget the other state sued big tobacco first and won. And so they had this mm-hmm. money first, but then eventually 48 states came together and sued and they got two and they won $250 billion from all the major tobacco companies. And they created this um, a foundation called the American Legacy Foundation. And so they put out an RFP to do work to combat smoking for, for kids. And, um, I think Arnold was smart because I think they saw the success that um, Crispin had with Truth in Florida, but Crispin wasn't big enough to uh, apply to the RFP because it, w- it wasn't a technically a government account, but it, it had uh, certain criteria you had to fit in order to apply for the RFP. And so I don't know who did, but someone Arnold was smart where they're like, hey, we should okay. partner with you guys and do this. And so um, how they split it was creatives always worked on all the projects, but there would usually be two productions a year. and Crispin would handle one production, Arnold would handle the other. And so when I came in, we are, Crispin was handling the production, but they were already like on set, already shooting. And so my first week I had to look up some info for the producer who was on set and I'm like, wait, what are you? Who are you? What, what is your job? And then he kind of gives me like a rundown because in my first job, we didn't have any producers. Um, and I'm like, wait, you're doing all this stuff that I wish I was doing. Mm-hmm. Like, how do I get into that job? Um, but then that moved out of it quickly. And then we weren't in production for a while because Arnold was handling the next one. And then I got put on new business where you don't really do any production. Um, and so, but then I got put on when, so when I got put on Burger King, we were in production constantly. I mean, we, we produce one, two spots every month. I mean, it's a quick service restaurant. They're regional, national and international ads. So they're, they're always shooting commercials. Yeah. Um, and so that's where I was like, yeah, I think that's where I'd want to be. Um, and I was lucky enough that, um, my bosses and account service were, um, generous to let me like, once they could find a replacement for me, let me go over. And the head of production at the time was, uh, liked me enough to want to give me a job. And so I got to move over, um, after almost four years of being in one role, moving to another one, um, was which is hard? cool about, um, it, 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 it kind of, I mean, good question. Like it was in the sense of, um, because I got to be around it and I knew I wanted to do it. So I actually started like shadowing the producers and and i was in this unique position because in boulder at the time all they had was myself and then the basically head of burger king from account service standpoint and the one person underneath her and so like all all of the team that was in miami because there's it was a massive account so that we literally had like 20 account executives on this one client i mean this is i mean this is a three four hundred million dollar was this global too? Yeah. This is global Burger King, like national and global. Um, And so all of the team needed me to go into the creative directors and the ECD and all their offices to get answers. Like, I mean, uh, and so, uh, yeah. And so like on projects I wasn't even on, like, Hey, we sent this email. We're not getting a response. Can you go check in with so-and-so or whatnot? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And so um, I started and, and, but all the producers and all the creatives were in Boulder. And so that's who I was with on a daily basis. And I was like, yeah, I like your job a lot better than my job. And I also not even what, uh, what they got to do, but like just how they like, I would get questions and I'm like, I can answer this already. I know what these people are going to say being in the room. And and so like, I still have to go officially get the answer, but I could have wrote the email for them with the response. I know what the creative is going to say. I know what the producer is going to say. And I'm like, if I'm in that mindset, that's probably, I'm probably going to be more successful in that. Cause I'd constantly like think like, 
because you're as, as an account person, you it's it, to me it's the toughest job in advertising, um, especially at a good creative agency because you are literally stuck between the creatives and the client, and not and not that the client um, doesn't want to do what the creatives want to do, but a lot of times they're not exactly Trends lined up. Um, and so let's take a look. At yeah, that. especially <laughs> at a place like like Crispin or like a Widen um, or a Droga, places that are like creative driven agencies, yeah. creatives. Creatives have the final say. A lot of agencies and traditional agencies, account people kind of have the final because they, in a sense, are the first level of client because they're supposed to know everything that the client needs and wants. And so usually creatives actually present to the account people to make sure that we're not presenting something that's going to make the client mad or Mm -hmm. waste their time or whatever it may be. But at creative-driven places, and the reason why the work's usually better is, no, creatives will present what they feel is the best thing to present. And then it's the account jobs person to convince the client to like it, even if it's not what they want. Um, And and Crispin, that's how they got successful because they had great account people um, that um, really would shepherd in the creative and and help make sure that the creative vision was executed and that the clients liked it. Um, Because that's not always an easy thing to do. Um, But I I just saw that like... (laughs) There, there was very few good days because usually like if you did a win for the creative, usually your clients are a little like, oh, I'm not so happy you got me to do something. Or if you did what the client wanted, the creatives weren't. So it, was, it wasn't an easy position to be in and not like I was trying to take the easy road, but I'm like, yeah, just the, the good days are fewer and far between, I think. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's why I switched into production and I'm so glad I did. Yeah. <laughs> so glad. Well, both of you kind of started with, well, not started, both of you have been in these toes of the, of the creative side. So what is something in terms of, you've talked a lot about kind of resilience and like having that kind of fire in your step and that hustle. I think that that's probably necessary in a creative field. Um, but what are some pieces of advice, some snippets of advice for people looking to go into creative, either that's design and art direction or production, any of those copywriting, copywriting. Yeah. That's a very broad question. <laughs> Take it where you want. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll say I'll say for creatives, uh, and there's a reason why I, I didn't go into creative more than not probably having the skill set, but uh, you have to have the thickest skin mm-hmm. uh, and be able to have the shortest memory uh, in, create to, in, in, in a creative role because 90, 95% of everything you do is literally going to get crumpled up and thrown in a trash can in front of your face. Mm-hmm. Like legit like that's not a uh, like is, like yeah. uh, metaphor it's like no literally you're going to be in a meeting and, and, and mm. a creative director or an acd or an ec gonna be like yeah no next Oof. after yeah. you just spent hours or days or whatever crafting this thing um mm-hmm. so i mean it's it's brutal you have to have tough skin so that, that, i mean that's like I don't, I don't know how they do it personally because yeah. like yeah. i i get attached to projects but it's usually not until something's actually getting made yeah um, and how much uh time and energy and passion they put into something before it even comes to me uh and how many times they've been told this isn't right or this is wrong or this is bad or the worst i think is they don't even really look at it they just dismiss it like um yeah that's tough uh as a creative <laughs> The, the toughest thing is knowing who your master is, right? Mm. Because you've got a client saying, I am the master. You've got leadership above you in the agency, which may or may not be creative leadership, but you've got layers above you that are saying, this is what you should do. And then you're getting messages. And then your ultimate loyalty, hopefully, is to the people that you're trying to talk to, right? Mm-hmm. And you have to remember that that is actually your your boss right those people are your boss you have to do something that they will actually care about 
And depending on the agency you land at or the brand or whatever you're working on, those may not be aligned. You may actually be working on something and have a very strong insight and a very strong gut feeling and maybe even proof that what you want to say will work for the, um, you know, for the end person that's going to be seeing or, or, or using whatever you're making. And you have to convince all the people in between. I, a friend of mine, Whit Jenkins, calls it the nin- nincompoop forest. <laughs> you have to get through the nincompoop forest without dying, basically. <laughs> and uh, th- there's Doesn't always going to be... For those that are listening. <laughs> yeah. There's always going to be somebody. <laughs> there's always going to be somebody that has a bright idea. Right. Um, and so you have to figure out, like, who is going to make this better and who is going to make this worse? Right. And it's nothing personal. You can still be friends <laughs> with people that that tend to sabotage your work. But you have to you have to know how to talk to both of those people. Right. And you have to you have to know who you can go to to help you fight your battles, too. And that doesn't mean that sometimes you have a lot of passion and sometimes you might actually be wrong. So another thing I like to sort of tell myself is you have to have strong opinions, but loosely held. Right. Ooh, that's good. Um, you have to have very strong opinions. No one is going to care more about what you're working on than you, because you're the one that's birthed it, and you're the one that has to carry it through the nincompoop forest. Right. Mm-hmm. So, people's comments come from a place of maybe more experience, but also maybe less passion, right, and less actual involvement in the in the nuts and bolts. Yeah. Um, so, and sometimes that equates to helpful things. And sometimes that equates to really unhelpful things, you know? Mm -hmm. And so you just have to, you just have to realize, um, how to, how to back up your argument. Right. And a lot of that comes, and it depends on what kind of person you are. Like, um, some of us are introverts and it, and it, and we really overthink things. Um, and it's really hard for us to even, uh, you know, show that passion. Mm -hmm. And so we resort to logic, which doesn't always work. In this you want to guess what Brad is? I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Some of us are super extroverted and we can stand up and just through pure force of will, we can make everyone just believe in a vision. Sure. And you kind of have to know who you are and also team up with people that are that compliment you, right? Yeah. Um, and, and it took me a little while to figure that out. And I was lucky enough to kind of just fall into situations where I could work with people that that made up sort of my other half. Um, but there's a, there's a real good reason why creatives work in teams. Um, and, and a lot of times you can also, like I said, there's no rules. You can go make your own team. Um, and they don't have to be creatives either. Like, uh, some of my best, most helpful collaborations have been with strategists or with producers, um, where you can go in with a strategist and say, I have numbers, you know, and you work with them in the creative process. You don't wait, or you don't wait to be told by a strategist what to do. You co-create with them, um, or on a production, you can go. We we know how to make this happen, and it's actually a lot. It's going to cost less than you think, right? Yeah. Here's a way that we can do this. Um, and if you go with answers, then the nincompoops go hide behind the trees, right? <laughs> because you have an answer for everything. It's like, yes, this will work. Yes, this will work. Yes, it will work. Yes, we thought about that, and this is what we're going to do, right? There's, it's really easy to raise concerns, um, and you have to you have to think like that to be able to preempt some of those things. 
Um, and then the other thing I would just say is uh, it's thick skin, but it's also realizing that sometimes, sometimes those death arrows to great ideas are actually blessings in disguise. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the best, a lot of the best ideas um, that ended up surviving were you take you take something that you thought you came up with something you thought it was the only great idea that was possible, right? <laughs> and then it gets killed, or it put it gets this box put around it, and you're like, ah, oh, crap. And you have to mentally reset and say, all right, the playing field has changed. You know, there are now three baskets instead of two. <laughs> what can we do to, what can we do now? You know, start completely over. Um, and sometimes those random things end up end up uh, putting constraints that actually make the work better. Um, the The trick is in your mind reconfiguring things to to um, to still keep it simple, right? Because as as feedback gets layered on, you, it tends to like you tend to want to complicate things. But your your loyalty is you still that idea still has to be really really simple. So you might it might be four words, you know, um, but you may have to rewrite it like a hundred times. Don't you love that? Yeah, <laughs> it's fantastic. It's so fun. I feel like I am then curious going from that, uh-huh. um, how is structure like at AKQA and how does that, that team work there? Are creatives talking with strategists? Is it super collaborative? Um, structure? What? Yeah, or just what is, that? What is structure? Yeah. You said earlier. Can you describe that structure. so I can yeah. imagine it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe just team culture then. Like, what, yeah. are, what are the people like? What's well, I think, your, what's I think your our office like? um, can't, I mean, I, I've got to work with a few different offices within the AKQA network, but um, what I love about our office is that we are really collaborative. Like at bigger agencies, you, it's just hard to do that. I mean, you're literally on separate floors and, or, I mean, you're they're keep apart. Maybe more of an assembly line. Yeah. Sure. It's like, all right, it's in this, it's in this section. So it's like, in the like typically how projects come in is the account person, the lead creative and like lead strategists will get told, Hey, this is what the client's looking for. And they will come together to create a brief. And then the brief will then be sent to the creative and, and, and uh, uh, trickle down to the teams to start working on or whatever it may be. Um, and in the beginning part, the strategist may stay a part of it to help them figure it out. And then creatives and account management work together to sell the client on what they want to do. And then it comes to production and creative and production account management work together to make it and get it out to the world. Um, our agency, we all are on hand for the whole thing for the most part, partly because it's being smaller. Yeah. Uh, and um, with what the workload is, like there's sometimes we're busier where like I might not be a part of jobs as much as I would like to be because I'm doing another job. Um, but more often than not, we all are kind of in there together to, to help form this thing and, and work together to figure out. And, and, and really you're, you're kind of like a, a tool for creative at the beginning of just giving, whether it's opinions or information or perspective, based on your profession, based on your life experiences, depending on what the client is. I mean, um, cause don't discount if you are in a consumer of a client, then you know that client, mm. whether you know the people like, like you're, you're who buys that product or whoever it is. And so like, uh, that's very valuable information uh, when you go to work on a brand. Um, and so like for like myself, when I started AKQ and working on Nike, I've been a sneakerhead for, a very long time and I enjoyed sneakers and obviously being in Oregon and going to University of Oregon, Nike's always been a part of it. And so like, it was really easy for me to get into Nike work and, and be able to give opinions like, no, this is what 
I'm looking for and I'm who they're trying to sell to. Um, And so uh, I I think at our agency, we do a pretty good job of all working together. Yeah, we're not, no one's really precious um, about where things come from. In fact, if if you want to know, like, is this agency that I'm visiting the type of place that's more of like an assembly line or the type of place that's more just fluid and chaotic? All you have to do is ask people where they sit. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> if you ask me that, I I wouldn't even know what the answer would be because yeah. I can't find my charger half the time because it's plugged in <laughs> in some random some place. Random <laughs> and teams will assemble at different tables and work until the thing's done and then they'll all disperse and find some other table to assemble at depending on what the project's doing. Um, and it's not to say one is better than the other. They're just different styles and a lot of good works come comes from agencies where they're more segmented. I mean, I think there are some really good agencies that still work that way, but um, AKQA especially like the ideas or the, the end product can be such a different range of things. Uh, it could be an app. It could be a spot. It could be uh, a contest. It could be experience. an experience. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be audio. Yeah, it, it just helps when, because uh, I know at, at Christmas, we were, we were in a sense siloed in our departments, yeah. but we would always find ourselves working together as teams mm-hmm. and a lot Especially of agencies. Down to the wire and, yeah. And mm-hmm. so there, so there are agencies that literally will put you together as pods where you have creatives account and production and planning all sitting together. Um, yeah. I don't think there's a right or wrong way. Cause I think you also learn from other people in your position, even not being on the same account. So there's a lot of valuable you can learn by just being around other account people and mm-hmm. seeing some of the issues or challenges they're going through that you can learn to help on yours that you might not experience if you're just in your own little pod working on your own uh, client. Yeah. Uh, but there's also then a lot of benefit of being in the same room of, of your team so that you get more perspective and, and, and more outside thinking for something rather than like you just f- focusing on what your job description is. Cause that's the beauty I think of advertising is everyone has a job description um, based on their title, whatever they are. But I think it's um, one of the industries where that's just, a, they have to put something on paper to find yeah, right. people for it. But yeah. uh, most agencies encourage, I mean, like at Crispin, it was like the best, the like best, idea or best creative wins um and so uh yeah i have it reserved okay we'll be out in a minute okay thank you um and so uh so yeah um so best best creative wins no matter where it comes from and i think that's kind of the mindset you should have no matter what job what position you move into is like always be thinking about especially if you have a client that's a brand that you buy or a fan of or whatnot you might have the next best idea totally i have one closing thought yeah, I promised I would plug something. Oh yes, to, okay. To you guys. <laughs> uh, so that we just we just wrapped this crazy project. So I was talking about no rules. Um, yeah. Every year for Design Week Portland, we just make something up and put it out into the world. And this year we decided, wouldn't it be would it be interesting? Like we work with Nike and um, we're all really athletic and we're fan of sports. So uh, what would happen if we took some of our technological experimental stuff that we do and mash it up with sport. What would happen if we asked a computer to invent a new sport, right? Ooh. What if we asked an AI to come up with a new sport? Would it be fun? Would it be safe? 
And what happened was kind of blew our minds. Um, we went through this process with this um, with this AI. Uh, we trained the way AI works. Is you don't just it's not an oven. You don't put something in and get something out. It's you have to train the computer to learn about oh. something. Yeah. So we fed it 400 sports and 7,500, I think, uh, rules of different sports from around the world, uh, including Quidditch, Ultimate Frisbee, you know, yes. like croquet, <laughs> rugby, all these different sports. And the computer over time learned, you know, what is a sport? What, what are the elements of a sport? What types of things does a sport have? And we asked it to give spitback concepts. And then we went out on the field and played with them. A lot of them were ridiculous. Um, <laughs> some of them could get you killed. Uh, one of them involved, um, it was sort of like a Frisbee relay race. Only the Frisbees would explode on impact. Oh, um, there was another one that was... <laughs> the computers like, are all trying to kill yeah, us. Yeah. <laughs> Terminator is real. Yes. Uh, the another one was like two hot air balloons go up and there's like a tightrope suspended between them and their two players are playing tennis like or badminton like with a racket on the tightrope. Oh my Whoa. god! Um, but the one that stuck is called Speedgate, and this is a game. This is a sport that we've been playing every weekend for the last like two months. Um, it is amazing. It's like a cross between Quidditch. Ultimate frisbee, uh, croquet, ultimate frisbee, and like rugby. Yeah, rugby, lacrosse. I mean, it literally takes a lot from a lot of places, and and uh, it is truly a a lot of fun. Super fun. I think you'll be seeing it on college campuses. People playing around because it's, yeah. it's 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 what? easy to get into. Uh, intramural. Uh, really, men, women playing together. I mean, it's it's just an extremely accessible. Really great fun workout. So we put it out there into the world with a little event in Portland. There were a couple hundred people there um, and we played, we'd been testing it for a while, but we had a tournament there. Um, and then we just put it out into the world and within two weeks it had spread completely around the world. We were on uh, the, the top morning show in Spain. Uh, we were on the BBC, what? Washington Post. Oh my um, it's called Speedgate. You can, you can Google it. Speedgate.org. Play Speedgate. <laughs> Playspeedgate.org. Okay. Um, you can, everything's there to start a team and start playing. Woo, so what we want to so see, cool. what we want to see from, from you from guys, the university from you <laughs> is we want to see some posts of you guys playing Speedgate. And as a, as a little gift to you guys, we will send you a kit to get started. So all you need to do to oh play is you need a size four rugby training ball okay. and four, six posts to make gates. Um, and all the rules are online, but you basically have to kick the ball through, um, various gates to score <laughs> and, so uh, super fast paced. You're tossing the ball over the place and it's very team heavy. Yeah. And we just know universities is where it's really going to start to organically take hold from like a gameplay standpoint. So yeah. we're going to send you guys some gates and a ball. Um, That's awesome. Thank you. We would love to see We're you guys pumped. playing. It would be so awesome. Exactly. Yeah. I'm there. Sweet. That sounds sick. Okay. Oh. So, yeah, we're going to get kicked out. Um, <laughs> but thank you so much yes. for coming. This has been awesome. It always feels like it. This lasted Flies five minutes. Yeah. yeah. This yeah. was 45. So, yeah. Um, Where can people find you um, online? And what's AKQA's 
AKQA.com mm-hmm. is our company. I have my own site at just DustinFreeman.com. Very nice. See some of my work, email, yep. all that stuff is there. Um, AKQA.com and Brad Hall, B-R-A-D-H-L-L. You can just Google my name. and Sweet. And it was playspeedgate.org? That's right. Okay. That's right. Sweet. Sweet. Well, be expecting some uh, LinkedIn requests. That usually happens. But gentlemen, it's been an absolute pleasure. So thank you so much. Thank you. Cool. And...